You're listening to the Global Sales Leader Podcast. I am your host. This is episode 21. Um, and this episode is going to be uh, part of two parts. Um, and I've got a phenomenal guest, and I know he's good because I've been on his course as well many years ago. So he's um, an experienced voice coach, but he works with corporates to help leaders present better than what they do in all sorts of ways. So helping people to present and also project their voices and influence others in a really good organic way. And I know it's helped me. So we went on for an hour. So it's the first one is your voice influences, which is absolutely cool. So we've got Paul Mussolinitis. He actually works with um, in the entertainment industry as well. So he teaches actors to have a better dialect so but this is really about sales and sales professionals and how you can work a lot better with your voice uh phenomenal so really delighted to present this hello good morning good evening and good afternoon and wherever you are in this wide wonderful beautiful world that we're in i'm your host jason cooper welcome to this exciting wonderful incredible episode of the global sales leader podcast i'm your host i'm i help sales teams deliver better results by sales training and coach i think it's all about relationships connecting one, one person to another and the more you can do that i think that's the better that you can build those good cementing relationships that last forever today i've got an awesome guest i would say that but I have actually got phenomenal guests who employ brilliant and intriguing strategies to great effect. And he helps organizations and people grow. My guest, Paul. Paul, would you pronounce your surname? Because I don't <laughs> want to. It completely balls it up. Um, Musalidas. Well, that's it, you know, that's, it's actually the kind of Anglicized. I mean, Musulidis would be in Greek, but Musalidis is what? I normally say I was pra- I was practicing it just before we got on and uh, <laughs> and you know, I was going I look I better ask uh, you didn't trust actually, yourself yeah I trust my uh, well I didn't quite trust myself look before we go ahead <laughs> uh, I've got a little bit of stuff about you and mm. then I want you to fill the rest of the void that's who you are so you gave me this you're one of the most sought-after voice coaches and communication coaches, consultants. And over the last 20 years or so, I think you're younger than that, you have coached around about 85,000 people. That is a big number. That's that's something to boast about. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, all the way from corporate to entertainment, education, and governance sectors, uh, individuals to small and large audiences, I've actually sat in one of the audiences uh, for a couple of days and uh, you helped me speak a little bit better. Before that, I couldn't hardly <laughs> speak at all, but now I can speak with passion and conviction and all of that. <laughs> so, like I joke and joke aside. So, look, I thank you so much. Um, could you give me a little bit more background than I've actually given um, by my little bit of an introduction to you, Paul? Yeah, of course. I mean, my, my journey has been kind of a strange one because I trained as an actor originally. And, um, and you know, I was young and stupid and naive and didn't really know 
where it was going. And I, you know, as soon as I finished drama school in England, I thought I was off to London or New York or Hollywood. And, uh, you know, that's the beauty of, of being young and stupid that you, you have all these dreams. And, um, and I ended up back in Ireland and auditioning for a play, uh, which was a Shakespeare in the park for the summer. And through a, a very strange sequence of events over the next two or three years, I, I ended up teaching voice in the two main drama schools in, in Dublin, the, uh, the, the Gaiety School of Acting, which is now the National Theatre School and the Drama Department in Trinity College, Dublin. And I was very young and didn't really know what I was doing, but I had the most amazing mentors. Um, Cicely Berry, who is, was, the, was the voice coach in the Royal Shakespeare Company, she happened to be coming to Ireland to give a talk and I wrote to her there was no emails or mobile phones in those days I wrote to her and asked if, if I could meet her for lunch and she was so gracious but she literally took me under her wing and and I was so fortunate because I had the most famous voice coach in the world as someone who could guide me and so I was still acting I was still doing voice work and I think that big turning point for me was a few years later when I was asked to to do uh to do a voice session in the Irish Management Institute. And it was the first time I'd really stood in front of 20 suits, you know, people who are in the business world. And we were doing some breathing exercises. And one of the guys said to me, Paul, this is amazing. And I thought he was being sarcastic. And I kind of went, yeah, it's really amazing where you're breathing. And I realized that he wasn't. And 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 then a few other people piped up and said, I've, ne I've never done this before. And I realized that there are so many people who, you know, take things for granted, like breathing, like the use of your voice. And, and that set me off on a journey because it's one thing working with, with actors because that, that's a, a very integrated process. You're working with their brain, with their body and their voice. Um, and they have time. I mean, when you're in drama school, you have two or three years to develop all those things. Yeah. You know, you're interpreting a script, you're, you're giving a character life through your physicality and, and your voice to make it believable for an audience. But in the real world, um, you're doing something similar. You're interpreting words yeah. that are normally on a script or or a part of a product description or you know, the benefits and what something can do for you. But then you don't have two or three years to train to to make it believable. And yeah. and that always worried me because because I, I, I still, to this day, meet people who will say, oh, my presentation didn't go very well or my pitch didn't go very well because I didn't have enough time to prepare. And that's always been a thing that has baffled me because you know I, I i i would say to people but you're not an actor you don't need four to six weeks like they have to prepare mm -hmm. for a play so you have to come back to what you already know and because we already know how to breathe and we already know how to speak and because we want to be authentic i mean i don't think i think a lot of people have this fear well i don't want to be an actor i don't want to do something that's fake and my thing has always been to help people really understand what it is to be human and what it is to connect and engage. And it's only in recent years that, you know, we talk about empathy and connection and engagement and yeah. all these wonderful words. Um, 
you wrote a you wrote a great article in HR headquarters uh, recently. Oh, thank you very things. much about that. I, I really enjoyed that because it was talking about about those kinds of things, and and I, I find that really interesting and and really amazing because that's what theatre has been doing for hundreds and thousands of years is telling stories and telling it in a way that engages the humanity of the audience. Um, and I like to carry that through into my work. So whether it's worth working with actors or whether it's working with a chief executive or a sales team or any anybody, whoever it might be, I think you've got to respect who they are, where they are, what they want to do. And and if you if you think of all the people, the speakers that we admire, whether it's family members or friends or colleagues or wh whatever it might be, that they always seem to be natural. Yeah. And I think that's the skill, is to do the work so that you feel comfortable uh, and confident with how you deliver things. And I think that makes you more makes you more natural. So you don't yeah. have to spend hours preparing. I think um, the biggest uh, thing which scares and terrifies people the most is public speaking. It's the number one thing. It's been proven again and again. So how, yeah. what do you do to get over that, especially in the corporate space? Uh, I, like uh, this area is all about sales, and but a lot of sure. sales leaders have to stand up in front of a group to help them and inspire them. Uh, I'm actually, actually thinking of the Wolf of Wall Street there when he stood up in front of the whole group and inspired them and got them going and got them revved up and motivated. But I suppose in a way that's what they have to do but using their language in, in the right way, in the right terminology to get them into the right headspace so they can go sure. ahead and be motivated for the day. So what is the first step for someone like that that maybe have a little bit of imposter syndrome but needs to motivate a team of people or whether it's in front of a group? Yeah, I, I mean, I always think in sales it's very interesting because some people have the ability to to speak off the cup, cup uh, off the cuff, and to engage and to feel comfortable about that whole process. And and certainly in sales, you know, I mean, we've been told for years, but we know it as humans that the trust and the relationships and the connections that we make are really, really important. And, and I know from just recently I've been working with a couple of senior salespeople who have obviously gone through the ranks and they're now in very senior positions. And, and one of the challenges that they have is trying to instill that sense of passion and drive and determination to younger salespeople. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, I mean, you don't have to be dynamic and, and loud and and if, uh, enthusiastic and effusive to be a good salesperson, yeah. you just need to be able to connect. And I think, and it comes back to what I was saying earlier on about audiences, that when you respect the audience that you're talking to, when you respect the person you're talking to, you, um, I think you can make that connection. I, I think the days are gone when, you know, you can say things like, did you see the match last night or, or or this is the one that I have in my house. I mean, you know, it's kind of, um, I, I, th I, I, mean, I think what's changed a lot in the, the last number of years is that we, we as humans have so much access to 
other kinds of information through, you know, through the internet. And that information can be good, it can be bad, um, or it can be unfounded. But, but we have examples of all kinds of people who are able to connect and engage. And, and it doesn't have to be sales. Yeah, um, I was watching something on CNN this, this morning on the app where a, a, a young girl in, in Palestine who had been making videos. But what really got people was when she just said, look, I'm only a child. I've had enough. And there was something where as a human, you just have to zone in and kind of go, wow, this this 10 year old or 12 year old girl is explaining the situation so beautifully while all the politicians are you know, doing all this stuff and trying to justify why they're firing things at each other. It's uh, so I think I think when you we all have that ability in us to be human. And and I think that's the that's the connection. I mean, I I've, I talk about the humanity of voice a lot because we're born if we're lucky enough to have all our everything working. Yeah, we're, we're born with this vocal ability and it, and it takes us you know, it takes us a year or so to learn how to walk. It takes us a certain amount of time to develop our, our speech patterns. But it's 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 such a uh, an amazing part of our our growth through childhood and adolescence into adulthood that I think sometimes we need reminding that we're pretty damn good at communicating already. We yeah. just don't have to follow these formulas just because that's what our boss did. Uh, 20, 30 years ago. However, probably the energy and the enthusiasm that your boss had uh, is something that we should take note of. So it's, I think it's just recognizing that we are capable of doing it and we are capable of connecting with other people's humans, uh, other humans, because that vulnerability and that humanity, I think is the most attractive thing. Yeah. I was actually thinking while you were talking, because I think that is absolutely correct. And that child that you were speaking about, you automatically like her, but she simplified the process. But you've yes. also got that trust and that connection with her already. But how can we install that into us adults? Because <laughs> we forget to do that ourselves. And I, I, I keep, uh, my, uh, you know, just before here, my son was in here. But I, I try and jump into his head every now and again and go into his world because I want to understand the... Um, vulnerability and the i don't know the, the, the almost like the childlike mode that we forget sure. but how can we use that uh enabled us to obviously to be an adult but how can we um bring that big t back into our lives and connect with people in a more of an empathetic sure. way i i ever since i've been a voice coach i've always talked about pace, pitch, volume, and pause as being the four main vocal variables uh, that we have. And I talk about being young and stupid, not really understanding stuff. So it was kind of out of simplicity that I kind of latched onto this, but then it just, it kept on coming back to coming back to it because, and you just said it, you know, we want to go into people's, to get into your son's brain or as salespeople, we want to get into our our potential client's brain and and see it from their point of view or be in their shoes. And I, I always say to people, one of the most human things that we do when we're with our friends and with our family is that we we match, we mirror, we we 
we bring together our pace, pitch, and volume. You know, that when you're with a group of friends in a cafe or a pub and you're having yeah. a great time and, you know, you're all going fast. No, that was amazing. That was brilliant. Do you remember when this happened? Yeah, or it yeah. could be, do you remember the time when this happened? And we're all, but our pace, pitch, and volume comes together. It com And the, not only are you congruent in yourself in the way that you're moving and thinking and speaking, but the whole group is. And we tend to forget that, it's the most human thing to do is to match that. So the example that I always give, you know, that if someone comes up to you and says, um, Jason, I have a problem. Can I talk to you? As a human, we, we would go, yes, okay, let's go into my office. I mean, you wouldn't go, okay, let's go into my office and we'll have a little chat. <laughs> I don't know, I might do that. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, or if a child comes up to you and says, look, look what I made. You, you yeah. as a human, you don't go, oh, that's very exciting. We know to go, oh, that's amazing. And we so we know as humans to to instinctively to match that those elements, not, not everything, but some aspects of pace, pitch, and volume, yeah. to let them know that we're listening, to let them know that we care, to let them know that we we've heard them. And yeah. uh and when I give examples of this in my training courses or in whatever, seminars or talks, is that everyone recognizes that we do that, but 99.9% .9 of people never, ever go into a meeting, never, ever go into a conversation and say, as a technique, as a skill, let me just for a second listen to the pace, pitch, and volume of the person that I'm trying to connect with, of the person I'm trying to engage with. Because it's what we do instinctively. If you remember being on a on your first date as a you know as a teenager or as a young adult, you know we 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 try to, well putting aside nerves, but we try to to find ways to be like them or to oh I love yeah. that too or I you know so it's a very human thing to want to be connected. So I would always say to people listen to the pace, pitch, and volume of the person that you're trying to engage with, you're talking to, because it's one of the most respectful, it's one of the most human, beautiful things that you can do to let them know that you're listening. And I, I don't mean doing impersonations of them, but if, you know, you and I are quite fast speakers, yeah. we would speak faster than most people. But, you know, if you have someone who's very quiet and considered, and they're asking you questions in a particular way, it would be, it would do a huge injustice to them and to you to kind of go, well, the reason we do that is because, and, and we go into this mode when, when they're actually giving you a clue, they're actually telling you, this is the way that I speak, the way that I engage. So you don't have to mirror everything or match everything, but if they're going a little bit slower than you might normally be, it would be a good idea to, at the beginning, you know, I mean, psychologists talk about, you know, uh, uh, pacing or matching and then leading people. But that's exactly what you're doing is you're just for a moment acknowledging where they are, putting yourself in and their you Bringing it into their world, but you're also stepping into their world as well. So you're, you're matching them uh, completely. Is that uh, called literal listening? You know, you got... Um, all of the techniques out there, but literal listeners really literally listening to what they're saying and the language that they're using and the linguistics and the, the pace, the tone, the rhythm and all of that. Well, but that's actually a different, that's a separate thing, but I mean, it's equally ah. important. I mean, you're lit, you are, 
literally saying, are they speaking faster or slower than me? Okay. Are they higher pitched or lower pitched than me? You know, like I say, you're not doing impressions of them. Well, actually, I'll give you an example. I was working with a group of teachers, uh, primary school teachers a while back. And, you know, because primary school teachers are the highest profession for a, a voice user profession. Yeah. And um, I was talking about this in a slightly different context, but one of the teachers said to me, but Paul, if I have an angry or irate parent and they come into my classroom and they go, look, I'm really unhappy with they've been treated my child. What's going on in this classroom is ridiculous. And she said, if I match their pace, pitch and volume, will that not be an argument? And I said, yes, absolutely it will be, but you don't have to match everything. Yeah. So if the parent is going, look, I don't know what's been going on in the classroom, it's absolutely ridiculous. You can just match their pace and kind yeah. of go, okay, look, I can see you're really upset. Let's go into the classroom and we'll talk about it. Oh, that's a really good point, Paul, because uh, the way, um, um, sorry to jump in there, but it's the same thing in customer service when yes. you get irate and angry customers. And um, I heard a, 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 someone on the radio, I listen to UK radio a lot uh, because I'm English, uh, but they were doing this ad and it says uh, in this world today that uh, a lot of angry people shouting and screaming and, and because of uh, well-being and all of that sort of stuff, just think of it, what it's like in their shoes when they hear a lot of angry voices. So for the customer service people and even salespeople and people in business, should they do the same and match probably the tone and maybe the tonality, but not the uh, Absolutely, because like, like I said, you, do, you know, you can just match the pace. I mean, if they're speaking quickly, what you're doing is you're what you're doing is not overtly, but you're saying, I can see that you're distressed. I mean, you can even say that I can see that you're I can see that this is bothering. I mean, I always say in customer service that if someone comes to you with a problem, don't create another problem. You know, I, if, like if I'm bringing if I'm bringing back this mug to wherever I got it, and, and I say uh, there's a, a a crack in the mug, and if uh, you know their comment is, well, was there a crack in it when you bought it, or like, <laughs> do you have the receipt, or or the best one is, well, have you did you open the packaging? And you're kind of going, of course I opened it because how would <laughs> I know? And immediately you're just raising the you know. So I always say just. You don't, it's not, you're not giving into them. You're not saying, but even just saying, oh, that's, that's unfortunate or, or I can see that's a problem. Let me have a look and I'll see what I can do. And at least then their brain is going, oh, Jason's going to, going to have a look at it. He understands where I'm coming from. And then you can ask about the receipt or you can ask about other stuff, but don't create a problem when a problem's coming to you. You've got to, I think this whole idea of just respecting the humanity. I mean, I think that's just good customer service. Um, I think so, yeah. Th there was, you know, there was this theory 10, 20, 30 years ago, which just used to really annoy me, where people would say that, you know, if someone is speaking really fast and really loud, just talk really quietly and really slowly, and they'll have to listen to you. And I thought, no, they're not, because you're talking <laughs> slowly and quietly. They, they won't even hear you. You know, that you question where they are. That was a sorry to jump out. That was a question <laughs> I was going to ask actually, and I did jump over you on purpose because what happens when people do that and like jump over you? I know it's disrespectful, but some people with the loudest voice wins, or do they win? Or is it the person that reaches up and jumps into the other person's shoe wins? Or because it's all about that. Uh, it is the 
once you get over the body language and you know that that's uh once you get over that you have to speak yeah so that's the next part of being influential and persuasive and using your language in the right way but sure. when you when you're up at loggerheads in negotiation especially in sort of sales it's exactly what you just said because there is that that area and people do shout over what what, what what's the best sort of solution for that it really does depend on the environment and i, I do a lot of work with uh teams within difficult, you know, non-functioning teams or difficult situations. And and I my first question always to the head of the team is, who's your most difficult person on your team? Who's the most spiky? Who's the one that is actually grates people the most? And, and the reason I ask that is because, you know, if someone's rubbing someone up the wrong way or several people up the wrong way, you know, they've hit a nerve. And now that the person could be a complete idiot or they could be you know i mean they could just be you have to get rid of them i mean but putting yeah. that aside you know if someone's asking questions i think you you have to you have to understand why but i mean not let them ask questions all the time because you know so i i think i sometimes you have to let them just let the let them just say it yeah. And um, and I think that's always good. Let them get to the end. Because again, if you interrupt them, if you interrupt them, albeit they're interrupting you, but if you interrupt them, I think, again, you're creating the issue. It depends on time you have. It depends on environment, all kinds of other things. But I do remember, oh, I wish I could remember his name. Um, I do remember about 20 years ago, uh, hearing someone say that if you have someone who talks too much, and you want to stop them in their tracks. There's one phrase that will that will stop them, and and I, I and I actually I was actually in the days when you bought videos to watch or DVDs to watch people, oh, and nice. I bought it for this reason. And I was like waiting, waiting, waiting for this moment to come, and and there what he said, just say to them, what I like about you is, he says nobody, nobody but nobody will 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 talk over you when you say something along those lines. Now, you can't just say, what I like about you is, and then talk about something else. But but for example, you could say, you know, what I like about you, Jason, is that you always ask questions that are really important to the bigger picture. But if you don't mind just holding on for one second, let me finish what I'm saying, and I promise you I will come back to that. Oh, I love it. You know, so it's like, you know, well, what, what, I, what I love about you is just the energy and passion you have. And I know that you wouldn't be talking like this if you didn't feel strongly about it. And we need everyone to feel strongly about it, but we also need to be on the same page. So it's a lovely way of, I mean, it's, it's a bit mean, but you know, but, but, it's, but it's a very effective way of, of dealing with somebody, you know, you can't do it all the time and you have to have something positive to say, but that's when you're getting into the whole linguistic area of how do you, optimize the language that you have i think that's really cool i like that i've actually wrote writ, written that down i can't even speak now you've confused me <laughs> so what i like about you paul is uh, you're very good at what you say and you do i like that because i think that will work really effectively in negotiation especially yeah. when there's two egos in the room and maybe they're clashing at uh head on but that's a really good way just to uh, fizzle out any sort of uh, yeah. any sort of anger, anguish, or anything like that, because we all get that at times. 
Sure. And sometimes we forget these wonderful techniques and processes that we do have. So you've been doing this a number of years now. So you're obviously expert at what you do, which I love. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm rubbing your ego in the right way. So thanks. I've just learned from you. So uh, that's really good. Um, well, you know, I, I have to say, Jason, that that I do feel that, I mean, yes, I have been doing it for a long time, and and but I do feel that that balance between the performance world, you know, my work in theatre and film, and and then the the corporate or education or governance world, because they are so closely uh, connected. And for me, you know, for me, going back and working on a film or working on TV TV series is is like um, nourishment because it's uh, because you have time to see the actor's process or to see how it works or just you know the whole idea of how we see ourselves or how we want people to see ourselves you know the director is seeing something through a lens and the act the actor is trying to influence that yeah and yeah. that's no different to what we do when we walk out and we are we become our brand or yeah. we align with our product or we align with our our client you know it's it's um it's fascinating, and and before the film used to be shrouded in mystery, and you know our phones are capable of of they have the technology to actually make a feature film now, and and I love that idea of of maintaining your authenticity, maintaining who you are, but also recognizing that we need skills and we need techniques, and from my point of view, is that we're going to be talking anyway during the day so there is absolutely no excuse to be saying you know as you're talking to your wife your husband your boyfriend your boss your whoever it might be your children there's no reason why you can't say in your mind i wonder if they're faster or slower than me i wonder uh, do, do i tell them what the answer to the question is or do i encourage them to find it for themselves i mean you can actually don't tell them what you're doing ever but you can actually challenge yourself because the, the person you are today is not the person you were last week. You've grown a little bit. And if you find opportunities to, to think about the way you stand or the way you breathe or the way you activate your voice or the way that you use your language, I, I think it's a wonderful opportunity throughout the day just to try things out. And so long as you're not being excessive or ridiculous, no, nobody knows for what for one second that you're 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 doing this. And even in that last sentence, I de I deliberately said to myself, I'm going to work on my pitch. And I went, nobody knows just for one second that you're doing this. And yeah. if you don't tell people, they don't know. But actually, you're actively practicing, and it's it's not fake because that's what we do in real life. We we do go, no way, I can't believe you did that, but. But we forget that actually the higher pitch of your voice is a really lovely way to connect with people. No, I, yeah. I mean you can. You, I really, I'm really agreeing with you. Or no, that's not true. You know, there's we never use that part of our voice, our voice, yeah. and or, or even down here, and you know. But but we all have that capacity, and I, I love that, especially if you have kids, especially if you. Um, have access to children or you remember being a child you know that it's that it's this whole idea of of just letting your voice become what it is because i know i i 
I, I, I'm not sure who was that said it first, but I, you and I both know Owen Fitzpatrick and Brian. Yes. Brian Colgan and Brian Colbert. Oh, Brian will, will come. Yeah. Uh, Brian Colbert. And they talk about, and, and I remember hearing them say, you've never met a boring five-year-old. Yeah. And, exactly. and for me as a voice coach, I was kind of going, oh yeah. I, you know, <laughs> I never actually thought of it like that before. So, you know, we, we learn as we go through adolescence and, and adulthood, we learn to be a bit more dull and a bit more boring and a bit more, and of course, especially with male teenagers, you know, they go through this kind of almost. Oh, yes. Yeah. And, you know, I, I must get about, I don't know, 10, 10 emails or phone calls every single month from concerned parents about their normally male teenagers who have just, started grunting <laughs> instead of speaking. And, and you have to just reassure them, you know, once you kind of check out a few other things, but you have to reassure them that, you know, it's okay, it's okay. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Global Sales Leader Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Cooper. If you like what you hear, please share it. It'd be absolutely awesome. I'd be delighted. Uh, And even if you can give it a five-star rating or comment or share with your friends, this is all about inspirational leaders, people that actually do and do something slightly different. So thanks once again, and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode.